Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. All right, welcome to the show. Fifth Street Soccer here on the Sports Byline Broadcast Network and Sirius XM 211, Dan Patrick Sports. I'm Nick Eber along with Kartik Krishnaya. We've got a big show today. Uh, we have been threatening this now that I think we can put the uh, Women's World Cup, the Gold Cup, the Copa America, the aftermath of the Women's World Cup, the chic will pay argument, all of this stuff we can now put behind us. Of course, we'll talk about it if you want us to. But I think now we need to turn our attention, Kartik, to the on-ramp to the big European seasons and, of course, the transfer market as most of the big European teams are now playing their money-spinning friendly matches. Uh, we find ourselves in a position of looking at the transfer market. And today, Kartik, today I ask the question, uh, as do you, of our Guna friends, that is Arsenal supporters, what is going on with your club? What an absolute dumpster fire. How awful it has it been under the ownership stewardship of Stan Kroenke. Uh, I'd love to hear from you, 800-878-7529. But Kartik, that's not it. I mean, there are a lot of other teams making moves, uh, obviously, while Arsenal aren't. Yeah, uh, West Ham making a, a really big move uh, to get Sebastian Haller from uh, Eintracht, who was one of the you know, elite players in the Bundesliga last season. Uh, Borussia Dortmund making some interesting moves. Kieran Trippier to Atletico Madrid. How will he do in La Liga on a very defensive team, uh, a team that likes to get stuck in? Uh, might be a good fit, though. A um, lot of interesting moves that uh, the Giants in Europe are making, and then there's Arsenal under Kroenke's uh, guidance, uh, a train wreck right now. Yeah, a dumpster fire is, I believe, what I said on Twitter. And by the way, if you want yes, to find us on Twitter, uh, you can find us at Fifth Street Sports. That's at Fifth Street Sports. If you want to find us on Facebook, we're at uh, facebook.com forward slash Fifth Street Sports Talk. If you'd like to give us a call in the studio, you can do that, 800-878-7529. Come on, Gooners. Where are you? There's no point in crying into your beer and writing to us on Twitter and complaining to the social media world, you can pick up the phone. The call's free. Even Stan, I mean, Stan Kroenke would love that, a free call. Give us a call here. Let's talk. Think of it as football therapy for the soul. And Nick Eber and Kartik Krishnaya, well, we're the doctors, and we are in right now. All right, big hello to our men and women in uniform around the world listening on the American Forces Radio Network. And if you're listening on one of our digital platforms, as well, whether that's iHeart, TuneIn, or the award-winning Sirius XM app, we welcome you to the show. Those are the topics on the table. We'll be right back to kick it off. Quite appropriate, the lyric to the institutionalized uh, that song. There's uh, sometimes things don't work out just the way I want them to. Uh, if you're an Arsenal fan, you have to be thinking: <laughs> Are they talking about me? Are they talking about my club? Welcome back, Nick and Kartik, with you. Uh, Kartik, we have to talk about Arsenal as the transfer market gets hot and heavy. It seems that Arsenal are locked in a do-or-die battle with Crystal Palace for the seemingly one player they're willing to spend a little bit of money on and that is Wilfred Zaha, but it seems like they're not willing to meet his valuation. And by the same token, 
apparently now the player is saying he wants to go. It's another typical example of Arsenal's god-awful transfer business. Yeah, this has been going down, going on for years, Nick. I mean, they've missed out on so many targets through the years uh, that they that were on their radar. I think uh, I go back to 2011 when they didn't they didn't get Juan Mata. He ended up at Chelsea. I, I look at what happened uh, more recently with a number of guys, um, and quite honestly, now they have a director of football and they have transfer targets. And I think Unai Emery is probably very very disappointed in their inability to secure uh, the kind of players he needs to, to play his system. They um, let Aaron Ramsey go on a free uh, this, uh, this summer, right? Or if you sign with Juventus in, um, in January on a Bosman, or, and uh, they have yet to replace him. They do not have anyone remotely comparable to him that, they're, that they have in central midfield, even as a transfer target, let alone someone who they've signed. They've also... Um, repeatedly now made errors in terms of letting young players go. Serge Gnabry was a guy that um, was blossoming nicely. Uh, Wenger apparently wanted to keep him. They didn't meet his, his salary demand. Now he's starting for Bayern Munich and the German national team. I mean, that's, that's a terrible one. One thing I used to think about Arsenal, Nick, I think we've had this conversation on a previous show you hosted, was that Arsene Wenger had an innate ability to know when guys were kind of done and sell them. And maybe they'd have a year or two when they moved on, like Robin Van Persie did. But generally, he got the timing right. It seems now, uh, at the very end of Wenger's tenure, but more importantly, in the era they brought in a director of football and people not connected with the club or the club's ethos, uh, it's a mess. And it probably all goes back down to the uh, cheapness of their owner, one Mr. Kroenke. How do you let Aaron Ramsey, who's, what, 27, 28, how do you let him go on a Bosman? I mean, what's going it's, on there? I mean, how do you let that happen? How do you not re-sign this player a year or two uh, into his newest contract and then at least sell him? It's not like Juventus don't have any money. <laughs> right, right. I mean, I, I think what actually happened was Juventus was anticipating they uh, – uh, the, the Juventus wanted to buy him, uh, uh, Nick, and they were anticipating Arsenal, uh, who have this habit. They had this habit when Wenger was the manager also of letting guys go into the last year of their contracts. Um, and uh, what happened is Bakari Sanya walked on a free to Manchester City, was very good there. Uh, Gael Clichy, they had to sell as he entered the last year of his contract. Robin Van Persie, they had to sell as he entered the last year of his contract. They let it happen with Ramsey, and Juventus realized, you know what? Um, they're not going to offer Ramsey the kind of money – weekly wage money we're going to offer him because they've offered they've already re-signed Metzad Ozil, who, by the way, is not playing as well as Aaron Ramsey um, recently, the last two seasons or so, um, to this enormous contract that no one can match, um, that they're not going to match internally. So we're just going to wait till January. He's not going to re-sign. And sure enough, that was it. Um, so they made a mistake with the way they handled the Ozil situation. Now, I do have to say their dumping of Alexis Sanchez, uh, which I believe must, might have still been Wenger, was very well-timed. Uh, yeah, that was still under Wenger. So um, what, what's happened since they hired the director of football in Wenger's last six months and, and pushed him out the door uh, has been catastrophic for the club. I, I don't see them competing for the top four this season.
Well, we're going to talk about that in a minute, but I remember going way back to my very first season on Fox Football Friday, which was, what, 2004? Something around then? I have to yep. look. But I think it was around 2000. Well, when was the Emirates built? 2006. Okay, so they were building it in 2005. So it had to be in like 2004, 2005. Uh, all the discussion was the construction of the Emirates. And in fact, uh, the set that Fox built for us at the time was supposedly my flat overlooking uh, the, the Emirates construction site. So it's been a long time. And if I remember correctly, and even though I'm old, my memory isn't this bad, long-suffering gooners were told over and over again, this new stadium will revolutionize the club. It'll bring the club financially into the modern era uh, with all the new capacity that it offers, with all the new amenities, with all the luxury boxes. And the best part about it, this is what gooners were told. Stay calm relax, understand, we want to pay for this thing. We don't want to saddle a club with enormous quantities of debt. What that's going to mean is that in the future, we'll be able to be really big players in the transfer market and invest in the football side of the club, which we can't do at Highbury because it's too small and it's too old and it doesn't have all the luxury amenities. That, my friend, was a bald-faced lie. Okay, I think uh, we've uh, lost Kartik there briefly. Uh, no, no, I'm back. Oh, he's sorry. Back. I, 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 um, not only was it a bald-faced lie, Nick, it's why I became skeptical of the situation with uh, their North London rivals, the Gooners North London rivals, Spurs, as they kept having these uh, delays to the opening of their new stadium. I, I kept thinking, you know what, this sounds suspicious. Maybe they're cost overruns. We've already heard Spurs, they're not, they, haven't, they didn't spend in two straight transfer windows, right? right. And um, it's probably related to the stadium. Maybe none of it was, but because of the, the lies or the half-truths or whatever, the misleading statements associated with the Emirates, I now look skeptically upon any club, and it, the first club to do it uh, was their North London rivals, any big club that builds a new ground and says those sorts of things. However, the, the, the big difference is Spurs are a very well-run club. Um, Daniel Levy and Joe Lewis, both of whom are based in, in my area, by the way. Uh, Daniel Levy uh, has a residence here in Fort Lauderdale. Joe Lewis' uh, son lives here in Florida, and he lives on a boat in a boat off in the uh, Bahamas, not far from us. They run the club very well, and I think now we're seeing in this window Spurs' um, money limitations applied to prior to opening the stadium. Right, right. now, it looks like. Uh, that cap has been lifted. Now, I don't know if they're going to uh, bust their wage structure. That's been another thing at Spurs, that they have this <clears throat> wage structure where um, they're not able to compete for top players, not necessarily because of their transfer limits, uh, their limits on transfer spending, but their limits on their wage bill, uh, which they, they have not really bent or broken. But um, it seems like they've been more honest than, than Arsenal were, and now they're miles ahead of Arsenal. What is it, three, three successive years they finished ahead of them um, in the table, and four successive years they've been in Champions League Spurs, while uh, Arsenal have become a regular on Thursday nights in the yeah. Europa League. 
Well, right, exactly. And, uh, you know, I have to ask this of Gunas. I mean, would you rather have... The, we were talking actually during the break, Kartik, and you mentioned quite correctly that uh, Arsenal made the finals of the Champions League their last year at Highbury. Would you rather have titles and silverware and making the final of the Champions League and going to good old Highbury with all the atmosphere and all the wonderful ghosts of football past that live there? Or would you have this mediocrity and penny-pinching nonsense that you have at the Emirates. But you know what? Great concessions, lovely luxury boxes. I think you need to refocus on what it means to own a football club, Mr. Cronky. All right, we're going to go to break for Street Soccer, Nick and Kartik with you. We're talking about the dumpster fire. That is Arsenal Football Club, a wonderful, hallowed club with oodles of history. Who can forget the invincible season? Well, now they look not just mere mortals. They look almost like they're on their deathbed. All right, we're going to go to break. We'll be right back, 800-878-7529. If you'd like to chime in, find us on Twitter at Fist Street, uh, Fist Street Sports. Come in with the Dead Kennedys, probably the only soccer show you're going to hear with the fine selection of music that we do indeed have. Welcome back for Street Soccer. Nick and Kartik with you. We're talking about El Dumpster Fire Massivo. That is Arsenal Football Club. What an absolute disaster going on there. Before the break, I was asking Gooners, would you rather have success in Highbury? Maybe not so, so great luxury, uh, luxury facilities and maybe... Uh, fewer sponsorship opportunities. Would you rather have the beautiful, gleaming, wonderful, lovely, fantastic Emirates Stadium? And in return, you get absolute mediocrity. Now, I'm going to read this out to you, Kartik. Um, let's see. 2016-2017 season, uh, they finished in fifth place, almost 20 points off the leader, who was Chelsea that year. 2017-2018 uh, uh, they finished in sixth place, uh, 37 points off Manchester City. Last season, uh, they finished in fifth place, 28 points off Man City, who were the leaders. This team is going the wrong direction, Kartik. They are so far away from a top uh, two or three finish in the Premier League. They are not achieving Champions League football. They're not getting the money in for that. I just don't see where this goes. And, you know, as we look at where Arsenal are today, do we have to look back at the last few years of Arsene Wenger's reign and be able to say, well, maybe the dapper old Frenchman knew something that we didn't. I mean, maybe he was really swimming upstream, pushing against the tide. Maybe it was a, a true Sisyphean task as he was pushing that rock uphill only to have it roll back on him, Kartik. Yeah, I actually think... Uh... Under Wenger, they overachieved toward the end. I'm not those last two seasons when they missed Champions League, but all those years that they were finishing third or fourth with virtually no spending, with supposedly their their, their uh, hands being tied by the Emirates, uh, there was a um, there was a style still associated and an ethos associated with Arsenal. Right under Arsene Wenger, there was something about the club. 
Uh, although their fans were frustrated they weren't winning silverware other than winning them. And they still won three FA Cups in that stretch, right? The last yep. few years of Wenger. I think three out of his last four seasons they won the FA Cup. But uh, they weren't winning any other silverware outside cup competitions. I, I think, um, again, he got the most out of a lot of players. Before Jack Wilshire got injured, he got the most out of them, turned them into a pretty good player. Had him from a very young age, right? He came through Arsenal's academy. Then he turned Aaron Ramsey, we talked about in the last segment, into a really good player. Uh, a player that uh, became an elite player for Wales and for Arsenal. I think there were some other examples of young players who came through the Arsenal system that he uh, or that he had bought at a very uh, early age that became good players. And the latest one was becoming Carl, uh, was becoming uh, Rob Holding, who we bought from. Bolton for a very uh, uh, low fee of about two million pounds, and had turned into a, a pretty good center back. And Emery was doing well with him too until he got injured this past season. But those were the kinds of guys he was buying. Nick were a lot of players based in the in, in the English leagues. You know the the days when Wenger went out and bought all these expensive French players uh, and continental players were done. It was already obvious that. Well, the fact that he's bringing a guy like Wilshire through his academy and, and moving him into the first team, the fact that he's bringing a guy like Aaron Ramsey, buying him from Cardiff City, uh, he's bringing a guy like uh, Holding in from uh, Cardiff, uh, Callum Chambers from Southampton, uh, I'm sorry, Holding was from Bolton, that they basically, there were spending limitations, weren't there, on Wenger. And he was just a, a wily old, old master and found some uh, uh, diamonds in the rough. Uh, even at lower division teams in England. Well, but, I mean, um, but, but hold on. I mean, let's not forget. I mean, this is the genius that was able to change Thierry Henry's position and create one of the greatest players to play the game in the modern era. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So um, he was able to create a number nine, an out-and-out number nine out of Thierry Henry, who was arguably the greatest striker to ever play in the, in the Premier League. After Wenger, right, and there are countless examples of Wenger's technique and Wenger's tactical mind um, influencing players. Like a guy like Ramsey, what was Aaron Ramsey? He was just kind of this like thin box to box Welsh midfielder who then became this really influential guy who was kind of a poor man's Frank Lampard, right? Time yeah. his runs. I think he was very much he modeled his game after Lampard, and, and Wenger wanted one of those players. He turned uh, Jack Wilshire before he was injured, and, and I think that was a big part of Arsenal's demise um, because uh, Wenger was building the team around Wilshire, right, as right. his number 10. Uh, but he turned Wilshire into this strong, powerful, Gaza-like figure almost, uh, although I guess maybe he has some of the same tragedy. Uh, downside of uh, Gaza with the drinking and the injuries. Uh, but that kind of player, which Arsenal had never had. Well, uh, the times, they are not a changing for the good for uh, Arsenal supporters. And uh, let's if we take a look right now, I mean, everybody was waiting eagerly with bated breath to see what Arsenal would do in the transfer window. Two teams, the two North London teams, I mean, everyone was waiting. What was Tottenham going to do? Was Daniel Levy going to uh, bend to the pressure of of retaining Pochettino? I was stuttering over myself there. Uh, And make some signings. Was uh, Unai Emery going to be able to have influence with Stan Kroenke and get players? Well, we can see what success breeds. I mean, Tottenham spent uh, $71 so far on uh, Ndombele and uh, Jack Clark. 
Um, now they have lost Kieran Trippier. Danny Rose is on his way out, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So they're, they're they're making some personnel changes for sure. But Arsenal have signed Gabriel Martinelli from Brazil for six point seven million, and that's it. And they're in a cap fight with Crystal Palace for Zaha. And there's no way Palace are going to let him go for less than his full value. Yeah, and and. and... I think Emery has got to be frustrated at this point because he needs uh, he needs a, a rebuilt back line. He needs a central midfielder to replace Aaron Ramsey, uh, and uh, he needs a wide player to serve in balls for Lacazette and uh, Aubameyang. Now, uh, Zaha might be that that wide player if they can secure him. Awobi uh, is developing, but he's not at that level yet. They need they need elite level players. I mean, this this is one maybe negative legacy of the Wenger era, the end of Wenger. And it wasn't, it's not a knock on Wenger because as I just said, he got the most out of these guys like uh, the Awobis of the world and, and the, uh, um, uh, the Rob Holdings uh, type players. But uh, Arsenal now probably believes they can buy that level of player and continue to compete for top four spots. Right. When in right. reality, uh, Kieran Gibbs was another one that did quite well Arson, from, with Arsene Wenger for, for many years. A guy who just, quite frankly, I don't think is that good a fullback. But uh, in Wenger's system, uh, and, you know, a homegrown English player who came through their uh, youth academy, uh, he, he developed him well within Wenger's system. I think they now have this impression, the Kroenke ownership, that you can spend very little and uh, compete with the Spurs and the Chelsea's uh, of the world in London, Let, not to speak even of the Liverpool's, the Man City's, and Manchester United's, who spend more than any of the London clubs. All three of them spend more than the London clubs, at least recently. So uh, I think they were fooled by the fact that Wenger kept them competitive for so long. They don't really know the soccer business, the Crocky family. I mean, what do they, what do they know? Right? I mean, they run a hockey team, they run a basketball team, they run an NFL team, they run an MLS team. Uh, they, he's the heir to the Walmart fortune. I don't think he really knows English football, and it's showing in some of these decisions. Well, I know the fans would have loved that Usmanov was able, if Usmanov was able to. Oh buy yeah, a, they a, wanted a, that. A big share, but Kroenke wasn't having any of it. He wants to run Arsenal the way he wants to run Arsenal, and I sometimes wonder: is he parking money in Arsenal with the idea that? At some point, the Premier League is going to become a single-entity system like Major League Soccer, and he's going to have this incredible franchise value, and he's not going to have to invest in the team, much like he does at Colorado. We should have known Kroenke was bad news when David Dean, who was the man who brought Arsene Wenger to England uh, and was one of the architects of the Premier League, right, the Premier League right. breakaway, uh, when David Dean said this is a mess, this club, and walked away, and then tried to get back in by getting Usamov to buy shares, and Dean would have been back running the club where he'd been previously if Usamov had, had obtained ownership. Um, David Dean very actively was pursuing, was, was trying to get Usamov to, uh, to engage in this hostile takeover because he knew what Kroenke was about. I think he read it properly. Uh, if you don't know who David Dean is, fans out there, just look him up. Um, and reads any number of things about David Dean's influence on Arsenal Football Club, on uh, the building of the Premier League, the initial breakaway from, from uh, the Football League, and also his uh, recruitment and hiring of Ars Arsene Wenger and bringing him to English football. Really one of the leading lights. Uh, maybe that's a big part of it. Arsenal losing David Dean, I think, 
uh, losing an executive of that stature. We see it with Man United, well, too. Yeah, David right. Gill left. They haven't been the same club. Well, it's very difficult to find a chief executive who knows both the football side and the business side and is able to marry the two of them together. Yeah. And we're seeing this. I mean, we see this right now. If I mean, we can get Phil De Bruyne on here. We will get him on again to talk Manchester United with us. If you ask him what the number one biggest problem is, that's it right there. The commercial interests are running the club, not the footballing interests. And sadly, at Arsenal... That is exactly the situation. So they sold you some Kool-Aid about a lovely new stadium. And again, I just quickly, uh, you know, look at my team, Liverpool. No new stadium, but they invested in the stadium. They expanded it. uh, And uh, it seems to have gone well. But this whole new stadium stuff seems to be trouble, trouble, trouble. All right. Fist Street Soccer, Nick and Carter with you. If you've got something to say, find us on Twitter at Fist Street Sports. We're going to step aside, take a break. When we come back, let's briefly run around the Premier League and see who's um, signed whom. There's any big signings, any big moves. And let's turn our attention to Major League Soccer and an incredible quote from the truly legendary and great player Zlatan Ibrahimovic. All right, we'll be right back after this. and drugs and rock and roll is all my brain and body need we're going to talk Sex about last Andy Bohemovich a little later on in the segment and uh, what an appropriate song that is for the great one himself Zlatan but in the meantime <laughs> <laughs> Nick and Kartik with you uh, let's finish up our discussion of uh, transfers uh, going on right now around the Premier League, and uh, we can bring in uh, some other transfers in Europe. I mean, where's Coutinho going to go? That's the big question. Where's Neymar going to go? These things are still uh, unanswered, these questions. Uh, but if we look around the Premier League, interestingly enough, I mean, look, <clears throat> Man United, for all the complaining that fans do about the Glazers, and look, I get it. There's a lot not to like about the Glazers and their structure and how they structured the club and the fact that they have enormous debt and the club is uh, the Glazers' personal piggy bank. The one thing that Man United have never been short of is funds to sign players. What they're finding now is that they're not, it is not a money issue. It's that they're not that attractive of a transfer target now that Alex Ferguson's gone, now that their sort of success is not guaranteed year after year. And players are, and agents are bumping up the price for players to go to Man United. And of course, all they're doing is sniffing a player and another team, and another team will come in with a higher bid, which, by the way, Kartik, is what's happening at Arsenal. Exactly. Every time they look at a player, someone else wants to buy him and there's a bigger offer. This is what the new stadium was supposed to avoid, but that was last segment's discussion. Uh, let's, let's stay on United for a minute. I mean, they make a couple of really good signings, uh, United. I mean, they brought, they've spent a fair amount of money uh, when supposedly they're in such debt that they can't spend money. And that, that's just nonsense, by the way. Uh, but, I mean, they've spent uh, $72 million so far on players, and they have... Uh, Sold none. So that's a net spend of $72 million on Juan Bissaka, on Daniel James. Uh, two interesting additions, but Kartik, I think they're having trouble finding targets that really want to go there over somewhere else. Yeah, Daniel James is an interesting signing. I watched him at Swansea last season, really blossomed uh, in, in what was a very young team uh, that Graham Potter f- uh, fielded there, and obviously Potter now managing the Premier League at Brighton. So uh, I think... Uh, they have spent 
kind of recklessly, if anything. It's the opposite of uh, Arsenal. Arsenal's not spending at all. They're not spending enough money. United has uh, piled up uh, purchases to where now they have uh, – I mean, you look at United. They have uh, basically 25 or 30 first-team players that are making a decent wage, whereas which is more than Man City or Liverpool, the two teams that ran away from the rest of the league last season. So um, they have a lot of uh, fat they have to trim. I, I don't know what they're going to do with um, – well, I guess Herrera went on a free, right, to, yeah. uh, to PSG, so that's one player out. But uh, they have um, several other players in that midfield that they're going to have to try and get rid of. That back line is going to have to need is going to need to be retooled. Uh, the fullback positions have been a problem. Although Juan Bissaka, very good signing, he'll he'll fill one of those fullback positions. Can Luke Shaw ever stay fit in the other position? We don't know. I I would buy another fullback uh, if I were them. Uh, another left back, and then I think they're going to need to spend uh, some money on a out and out number nine, assuming Romelu Lukaku goes to Inter. Uh, Antonio Conte wanted him at Chelsea. Mourinho outbid him, I think, more out of spite than thinking that he could assimilate him in the team. He was trying to keep him away from Chelsea. Lukaku, who, of course, Mourinho had sold from Chelsea. Now uh, Conte wants uh, Lukaku at Inter. I think he'll get him, and I think Lukaku will do very, very well there in Conte's system, which is a much more direct system where you play through a, a, a target man, uh, which we saw at Chelsea too with Costa and then Morata, than uh, the way United plays. So uh, they need to sign another striker as well, I think, United. I mean, a couple of interesting signs. I mean, Wolves have been spending big money on Raul Jimenez from Benfica, on uh, Dendonka from Anderlecht. And you mentioned West Ham United. I mean, the Hammers uh, in for $68 million, although they did sell a couple of two or three players. They sold uh, Anatovic to uh, China. Uh, Fernandez went to Mainz in Germany. Uh, they sold Perez. They sold Byram. Uh, for next to nothing, though. But they they brought in twenty five million, but their net spend still over thirty. You mentioned uh, Sebastian Haller. I mean, great, great signing. Yeah, I mean, I watched Eintracht a lot last year. Uh, really enjoyed our friend, friend of the show, Keith Costigan, called a lot of Eintracht matches for Fox. Um, and when Costigan calls a match, I tend to watch it because he's that good. But um, so so I saw lots of Sebastian Haller uh, with Frankfurt last year, and they had two really good wide. Uh, uh, players, obviously, in, in Revic, and the other one's name escapes me right now, but it'll come back to me probably in, in a matter of seconds. But Holler was in the middle and was just, I mean, he was just fantastic. Uh, 20 goals in, in uh, uh, the the uh, in the season, uh, more goals also in, in the Europa League, as uh, Frankfurt obviously lost on penalties to uh, to Chelsea in the semifinal, the eventual champions. So they had they had a great season, Eintracht, and he had an outstanding year. He's going to slot in nicely in Pellegrini's system. Uh, you know, this is the thing for Arsenal and for Manchester United. West Ham improving, Leicester really improving. Iose Perez, we talked about getting Tailmans permanently. Uh, you just mentioned uh, uh, Wolves making some nice signings. Uh, Den Donker on a permanent transfer from Andrew, like that's a big signing. And obviously um, Everton 
uh, very quietly having a, a decent transfer window. There's going to be a real race for the top six this year. I mean, I could see a scenario where both Arsenal and Manchester United uh, fall out of the top six. I know there's been this narrative that the top six is one league and everybody else is another. Yeah, that's been true the last few seasons. I'm not sure if it's going to be true wow. this year. I, mean, I think Wolves at, and Leicester in particular yeah. are knocking on the door, and this signing for West Ham uh, indicates to me they, they might have a shot at it, and I think Everton uh, has a shot at it. Well, interestingly enough, we had John Barr on the show uh, sometime last week. I don't think you were on, and, and John was actually saying he put some money on Leicester as a, as a real underdog, but he got great value for making the Champions League. Uh, he thought that yeah. was a, a possibility. Uh, and the busiest team in the Premier League, I have to tell you, is Aston Villa, who have spent a hundred million pounds on players. Wow. Unbelievable. Uh, they brought in Wesley from Bruges, uh, Tyrone Mings from Bournemouth, Mark Target from Southampton, uh, Konza from Brentford, uh, El Ghazi from Lille, uh, Engels from Reim, uh, Jota from Birmingham, uh, Courtney House from Wolves. I mean, they, they've been busy, 100 million worth of busy. They're willing to invest in their stay in the Premier League. Uh, we'll see what happens. But I, I well, will say this, Kartik. Um, I still uh, am I not sure oh, sorry. that any team is going to be able to get close to Liverpool or and, let's say, Manchester City, uh, as your boys have already spent £90 million pounds on players. I mean, that is an embarrassment of riches. Yeah, uh, but speaking of, of riches, uh, just backtracking for a minute, uh, Wes Edens, uh, who owns the Milwaukee Bucks and has done a great job turning that uh, NBA franchise around, uh, bought Aston Villa last year. He's all uh, has uh, told uh, people who cover the team he's going to open the checkbook. Well, I, I think they're right now the big spenders, right? They yeah. they they yeah. spend even more than Man City. So um, Villa. Obviously, they're they're going to have to stay consolidate and stay in the league this season. But down the road, think about how big that club is, how historic that club is. Uh, American owners get knocked a lot. Uh, Nick, maybe rightly so. We've we've spent half this show or more knocking Stan Kroenke, American owner. But Wes Edens, at least initially, looks like he's really turning around that club. Well, it's a big Birmingham club, no doubt about it. And, of course, uh, not all American ownership is bad. Uh, can look at my friends at Fenway Sports Group and the wonderful job they've done with my club. All right, well, let's turn our attention, shall we, uh, to the domestic league and Major League Soccer. And I think we have to give this a little bit of airtime uh, because um, ESPN, who did the interview here? Was it, it was Hercules Gomez interviewed Zlatan Ibrahimovic, uh, who, as you know, is sort of the outspoken, speaks about himself in the third person, truly great player. And when I say truly great, I mean it. I mean, this guy scored an average of about a goal a game when he was at PSG. He scored nearly a goal every two games at Manchester United. He scored nearly a goal a game when he was at Milan. I mean, this guy is truly an incredible player. He's now playing in Major League Soccer. He's playing for the LA Galaxy, and he was asked about Carlos Vela, the uh, Mexican player who uh, is uh, tearing it up this season at, uh, at the uh, at the LA Galaxy, I believe. And uh, this was his response. Now you talk about lifting the level and getting players like yourself, and you said right now you're the best player in Major League Soccer. There's another player in Los Angeles, Carlos Vela. In this moment, he's got 19 goals, 12 assists, and his team is leading Major League Soccer. Do you still consider yourself the best player in Major League Soccer? By far. Because if he's in, in his prime, how old is he? Carlos Vela's 29. 
29. He's playing in MLS and he's in his prime. Mm -hmm. When I was 29, where was I? Yeah, you were in Europe. Big difference. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Big difference. Uh, exactly. Uh, look, I, I love Zlatan. By the way, you can't say I love Zlatan and I hate Megan Rapinoe. If you, if you don't mind top-level athletes speaking their mind and having a little edge to them, um, you know, which he does, his point is well taken, though. I mean, here is a player, Zlatan, who is 37 years old. He's been with the Galaxy since 2018. He has scored. He is scoring just a hair under a goal a game. I mean, he's played 42 yeah, appearances, and, 35 goals. I mean, it's a .7 goals a game. That is an unbelievable number, given that he's 37 years old. But is it really – it's not a good thing for the league, I think, when a player who's 37 years old can come and pick up and, and keep scoring and knocking in goals at that level. I, I, think, I think the comparison and the point that he's trying to make, albeit quietly, is well taken. Yeah, a year ago on ESPN, or a year and a half ago, whenever Zlatan signed, uh, Craig Burley, uh, somebody said something on the show, a ESPN FC show about, you know, Zlatan, maybe he'll have the same sort of impact as Landon Donovan. And <laughs> Craig Burley went crazy. He said, how can you mention those two names in the same sentence, Landon Donovan and Zlatan? You know, one is here and one, well, you know, you can't see what I'm doing, but one is at, on a pedestal and one is... Landon Donovan, right? I mean, Zlatan is significantly more accomplished a footballer than Landon Donovan. This reminds me of that. Again, trying to compare some um, North American player, CONCACAF player, who's a good, you know, Vela is a good CONCACAF player. He had a decent career, career at Real Sociedad. He was decent at Arsenal in, in the, his younger days. But, I mean, if you compare him with Zlatan Ibrahimovic, it's not even... I mean, it's, it's, I, they shouldn't be in the same sentence, just like Burley said when he got offended that Donovan was mentioned alongside Ebra. There's no way. You, you don't, it's only Americans uh, or, and Americans who also try and build up the Mexican national team and Mexican players because of CONCACAF that make these comparisons. I, I mean, no one, no one is going to compare a U.S. or Mexico international to Zlatan Ibrahimovic in the real world. Real, well, you know, and, you know that. And, and, and you know, Kartik, the Twitterverse and the, and the MLS apologists and the and the uh, bootlicking um, friends of Major League Soccer on the airwaves are absolutely going apoplectic about this. I, I you know, I, they, they, I, they realize what kind of career Zlatan had. I mean, I, again, I, I don't think they can differentiate between guys who excelled at the top level and guys who are good for national teams in CONCACAF. I, I, this is, again, I, they don't watch them game the same way a lot of us do. Yeah. Well, it's an interesting discussion. And, uh, you know, if you want to know what the difference between Major League Soccer and the European leagues are, uh, it's a great example. But not that Major League Soccer is bad. You should definitely follow it, particularly if you have a team in your hometown and you're vested in them. Uh, that's your team. Follow it. We're, we're not trying to denigrate that. But uh, some of this hyperbole and hype that's around it, that's what drives me. Absolutely crazy. All right, you're listening to Fifth Street Soccer. Nick and Kartik, just a reminder, we're with you each and every weeknight, 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 Eastern, right here on Sports Byline and Sirius XM 211, Dan Patrick Sports. iHeart, tune in, Sirius XM app, well, we're everywhere you want to be. We'll be right back after this to wrap it up.
All right, you're back with us here on Fifth Street Soccer, Nick and Kartik. Uh, just a couple of minutes left in the show. By the way, we do hope you'll join us weeknights, 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 Eastern. We talk the beautiful game right here on Sports Byline Broadcast Network and Sirius XM, Dan Patrick Sports. Kartik, we were talking about Zlatan Ibrahimovic before the break. Uh, final thoughts? Yeah, a year and a half ago when Zlatan was going to sign an MLS, we kept hearing from these MLS fanboys and, and some journalists that are, you know, some of the type of journalists we've talked about before on the show that are very partial MLS saying, he's old, he's coming off an ACL tear, this is a tough league, it's an athletic league, um, it's a young players league, he's going to struggle. Well, he hasn't struggled here at all. <laughs> and then they said the same thing when Rooney signed, and they had said the same thing before when uh, David Villa signed. I remember, oh, you know, he's washed up, he didn't finish well at Atleti, and then he comes here and he scores a goal a game. So um, sometimes you should appreciate the European veterans that have won at the highest level coming to your league and hope they rub off on the rest of the league instead of saying, oh, our league is too good for them. It's not what it used to be. It's not a retirement league. And then uh, Villa, Ibra, Rooney, they come and dominate. Yeah, and, you know, you have to wonder just exactly what the effect on ticket sales have been. I mean, do you think the Galaxy sold more tickets because of Ibrahimovic? I mean, when he was come. Yes, of course yes, they of did. Of course, of course. I mean, I even watched some Galaxy games because Ibra was playing for them because it's Ibra. I didn't have any interest in that team uh, the previous year, the previous season before he came. I could care less about them. Yeah, and of course, uh, that is the issue, isn't it? And that's really why they're doing it. But uh, listen, right. it's the league. It's here. It's what we've got. Uh, we should enjoy it. We should follow it if you're into your teams. Uh, but uh, we do cover it here, but we like to talk mainly about the European leagues. Uh, we will talk more when we're back on the air tomorrow, 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 Eastern, Sports Byline Broadcast Network, Sirius XM, Nick Eber and Kartik Krishna. In the meantime, find us on Twitter at Fifth Street Sports, and uh, have a great night, and we'll chat to you tomorrow. Hi, this is Ron Barr. If you like insightful, interesting sports talk and interviews, thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.